When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we wrap up the last week of preseason action. Joining me today to talk Bulls is Edward Shuler Jr., his first time appearance on the podcast. He's the host of the Bulls Gold podcast, a new Chicago Bulls podcast, which I'm sure if you're not checking it out, you guys definitely need to be doing so. So if you haven't done haven't done so already, definitely check out Bulls Gold. So Edward is here to talk Bulls with us today. Edward, thanks for jumping on on here with me, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You've been on uh, two episodes of uh, Bulls Gold already, so I uh, definitely need to return the favor. And uh, yeah, big fan of your podcast, and I'm I'm just ready to talk some Bulls. Uh, preseason is over, and we're getting closer and closer to the regular season, so I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, it's getting exciting now, man, and particularly with Levine looking quite as good as he as he has looked. So I want to talk a lot about Zach Levine a little bit later on because I think I, there's a little bit of a perception out there uh, for me at least that I'm a bit of a Zach Levine hater of sorts. And um, <laughs> whilst that's not necessarily true, I, th- I think it's also it's timely to acknowledge how good he's been in preseason. Obviously, there's still some holes there, but I want to talk Levine. Because he's, he's a player that I'm probably most excited about right now outside of Wendell Carter Jr. So we're definitely going to talk about those two guys. But firstly, how, how does it feel to be on the other side of the mic here? You, you host Bulls, Go- Bulls Goal with uh, Salim Sudawala over there. You're typically leading the show, but um, how does it feel to be on the other end there, just casually receiving the questions this time <laughs> around? It's different. Uh Usually, I'm just kind of in my mind, I'm trying to like, you know, steer everything and, you know, while also like trying to deliver my opinion as well. But uh, yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow we'll be recording our uh, episode. So uh, I have to get back into that mindset. But uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a welcome change for now. I could I could get used to it for this episode. <laughs> well, perfect. You you relax into that guest spot and uh, let me steer this thing where, wherever it needs to go. I'm <laughs> not right. sure how straight it'll be, but uh, let's see where it goes. But I want to start off. With uh, with the lineup change, obviously we're going to talk the last couple games here, the the game against the Pacers, the game against the Nuggets, as well as maybe that uh, that uh, interesting game against the Charlotte Hornets as well. So we'll, we'll touch on all three games because I think there's uh, relevant points to discuss. But I guess the larger theme of all of those games is what Hoiberg has done with the starting rotation. So obviously most fans would be aware if they've caught the last couple games that the Bulls inserted Wendell Carter Jr. and Bobby Portis into that starting unit, so both uh, moving into that power forward and center position. 
which meant that uh, the Bulls elected to put Jabari Parker and Robin Lopez to the bench as, as, as the reserve bigs, essentially. So I want to talk about that because it's obviously had some ramifications in, I guess, in terms of how the last two games of the preseason sort of played out. It looked a little bit different to what we what we, we what we saw previously, but it also has permutations as to what the uh, the roster may be, or sorry, the rotation may be heading into the regular season now that we've sort of closed up and finished up the preseason. So just wanted to get your initial thoughts on, on what you've made of the lineup change itself. And, and do you think Hoiberg is uh, completely justified in doing so? Absolutely, because Hoiberg, this is the last year where Hoiberg really has job security, if you think about it. He has one year remaining on his contract right now. After this season, he doesn't have anything. So he'll be a lame duck next season. So I think Hoiberg really, really wants to win games this year. And I think he is firmly of the mindset that there are expectations that he needs to deliver to. So, you know, you see that Jabari Parker is not working as a small forward. He hasn't really worked as a small forward like the last two or three seasons. And even as a power forward, he struggles defensively. So, I mean, just to get Justin Holiday into the lineup, just to uh, get Bobby Portis, who's bringing some much-needed energy. Like, I mean, didn't you think it brought like a refreshing change? Like, the team seemed to play with more bounce, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I attribute attribute a lot of that to Bobby Portis. And I made this note today, and it's probably something. It's, look, it's not a groundbreaking note, but it's it's pretty. It's become pretty clear to me that Bobby Portis is. Maybe the vocal slash emotional leader of this team. He may not be the only leader on this squad, but it's clear to me that he is the one sort of in the huddle, really uh, dictating the the emotion of this team. The uh, you know how vocal he is on out there on the floor. So to have a player with Bobby Portis being that vocally energetic, but just then just thinking about his game generally, he is that type of player anyway. Anyway, where he, <laughs> yeah. he gets out there and he, he he's a little bit crazy, but he, he he gives it his all, no matter if it's good or bad. And I think that's sort of been infectious. And then when you pair him with a guy like Wendell Carter Jr., who though he's a rookie, he's um he's in all the right spots, he's doing all the right things, he's not necessarily showing that he's going to be out here dropping twenty and ten in his rookie season, but all the lo- all the little things that he's doing as a rookie, as a nineteen year old, is it's kind of insane. So it's yeah. not surprising to see that the Bulls have looked a little better in these last two games against the Pacers and the Nuggets, given that those two have sort of shared the floor. Yeah, they they look younger, more athletic. I like Lopez, but I mean it's clear that he can't match up with teams like uh, we go back to the uh, Charlotte game. Charlotte seemed just faster. They were zipping the ball around. And we go back to the Bucks game. The Bucks were doing the same thing. So teams just look faster playing us. And once we got Wendell on the floor, once we got Portis into the lineup, now Portis isn't like fast or anything, but the team just seemed to play like the the way that I think Hoiberg envisioned this team. They look faster on both sides of the ball. They're moving the ball better. And they're getting up and down better. And there seems to be a a more uh, defined set of roles here, especially especially with Justin Holiday now. I, and I thought I thought people were a little too fast to you know rule out Justin Holiday after we drafted Chandler Hutchinson, but it just doesn't seem like Hutchinson is ready. Really, like it, if Denzel Valentine is ready for the regular season, you know Hutchinson could probably be not really in the rotation and. Justin Holiday, while not really a player that's going to give you, you know, crazy production, he gives you like a stabilizer role in that he's a good team defender. He'll hit threes and he won't really dominate the ball and kill the shot clock trying to get a shot off. So 
you know, I, I really I really like this lineup so far. It, it's worked. You know, yes, the, the Bulls still gave up a lot of points today, but you you could see that the lineup actually looked functional, whereas the other starting lineup did not. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, I want to talk Justin Holiday. Maybe not not maybe not necessarily Justin Holiday himself, but if we're thinking about the lineup change and what what did occur, it was interesting that the Bulls didn't slide Jabari Parker to small forward because that is something they certainly could have done, but obviously they didn't do. They elected to keep Holiday in at small forward. So not only did they not put Jabari too small forward, even though they inserted uh, Portis and Wendell Carter Jr., so that's certainly something they could have done, and maybe. Maybe four games ago, maybe if that was the case, they would have done. Given that they, they, or we were led to believe that the the Jabari Parker at small forward experiment was going to be something that we'd be uh, seeing all season long. But not only did they not start Jabari Parker, they moved him to the bench and they moved him to power forward. So, what what uh, what, what do you think this sort of means going forward? Now that it obviously works for the moment, given that Larry Markinen is out with. Uh, out of the rotation currently, but that sort of puts Bobby Portis into that starting four put four position, and uh, Jabari Parker as the backup power forward. But where it's going to get really complicated is when Larry Markinen is going is going to come back. So what does that really mean for Jabari when Larry is back? Given that we're going to assume Portis goes back to his uh, his accustomed backup power forward position, do the Bulls sort of? go away from what we've seen in the last couple of games here where we've seen Jabari at the four and do they moving back to small forward? Do they do that as a starter? Does Justin Holiday remain? It's it's kind of an interesting situation, one that's going to be kind of fluid over the next two months, I think. You know, there's really, you know, no easy answer for it right now because it, it's it's just such a wild card. And what's been interesting to me is just like the cycle that we've gone through already with Jabari Parker where he was presumed to be a starter. Now he's, you know, coming off the bench and he didn't seem too, you know, excited to accept this role uh, this week. Uh, skipped out on answering questions from reporters after the uh, game on Wednesday against Indiana. And it's it's just been really interesting how fast we've gotten to this point and we really haven't even played a game of the regular season. So when Lowry Markinen comes back, assuming Bobby Portis continues to play well as he had last season and as he has in the preseason I, I don't know it, it there could be really a scenario where Jabari Parker's really playing not that much where he's just kind of a reserve like where he's just really a 20 million dollar reserve and uh I, I don't know like that's isn't that kind of crazy to think about that we we're kind of at this point already where this this is actually a you know plausible scenario that could happen yeah well I, look I think it, I didn't expect it to be this this soon, like I always had my reservation uh, reservations about Jabari being a small forward. I, I've, I've made that pretty vocal, vocally clear. And I look, I'm not alone in that. Obviously, I think a lot of people share those views. But yeah, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect us to be in this situation so soon. Now, I guess maybe Jabari looking as bad as he has in preseason has maybe brought that forward. But having said that, he he did have his best game of of the preseason in that Denver game, scoring 19 points and and, and importantly an efficient 19 points. Whereas against Charlotte and Indiana, the, the guy couldn't buy a bucket and barely uh, barely registered uh, double figures in scoring and. As he sort of has mentioned, that's what he's here to do. That's what scorers or offensive players get paid in the NBA. And whilst he's got uh, gotten paid, he hasn't necessarily brought it offensively. But it has been kind of crazy when you sort of step back from it all and think that after five preseason games, we're here discussing Jabari Parker being 
maybe the most expensive bench player in the NBA. It's, it's kind of nuts. So I, I don't know what that means going forward. But do you think once Lowry is back, do you think Jabari may slide back to small forward? Do you think that experiment sort of is uh, relived again, whether as a starter or not? Because uh, to me... It's become even more clear than what I initially thought, but the the shape Jabari's in right now and what we've seen from him athletically and just his game in general, he's clearly better suited to power forward. But do you, do you think once Lowry's back, the uh, the small forward experiment will sort of kick off again? It, it may have to by default because you, you have Portis and Markinen likely to take the majority of the minutes there, and you, you really don't want Bobby Portis at center. So, I mean... I, you really might have to, and as as we said, he's just not defensively. He's not there, and uh, I I can't remember who the uh, who a ball handler was in on this play that I'm uh, referencing right now in today's game. But Jabari's closeouts just are just too slow for, and and it seems like it's that way for either position. I want to say it was Trey Lyles. I want to say yeah. Trey Lyles got the ball off a uh, off a pass and. It wasn't really even like a crazy pump fake. It was just a kind of a basic pump fake, and Jabari was just on skates, and you get by him easily. And then there was another play where I think uh, I want to say maybe Will Barton or someone got to the lane pretty easily and threw up an alley oop to I, I forget who, but it, the he's allowing penetration too easily, and it happens at either position. And I, I want to say that when you're doing it at small forward, it's going to be even tougher to really you know have a good defense because to me I think Zach Levine and Jabari we went into the season thinking okay these two guys are going to kill us defensively but so far Zach Levine looks okay even like he doesn't he's not great but he, he looks okay and we're getting really good offense from him so it's like okay this is fine but Jabari is just not I, I, I don't know we're getting we're getting bad defense and on offense like what we we know he's struggling, but what do you think his problem is? Like, do you think that he's just kind of pressing it too much, or do you think it's just the way that you know we're using him at small forward or power forward? Like, what do you what do you think the reason is so far for his struggles? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because I mean a lot of the shots that we've seen from Jabari have always been step back mid range twos. So he had a, he had a good shot profile today, or compared to what we've seen, he had a lot of corner corner threes or deep corner shots, which were good shots, and I think he made a couple of them too. But I think when he's on ball is when I'm concerned. I think he can be a nice uh, spot up type player, but I'm not sure if he's willing to accept that. But when he's had the ball, maybe even in the low post or even the high post or even out to the three point line, he's been doing this this uh, this move where he sort of sort of drives in a little bit. Tries to get his uh, his defender on the back foot, but then instead of sort of continuing his, continue his uh, drive towards the basket, he'll sort of pull up, step back a bit, and he'll sort of settle for that contested mid-range too. Now, I don't know if that's just a, uh, a function of the way Jabari wants to play or whether it's something um, with, you know, with his confidence or something of that nature, or maybe his body's not completely right and he knows he can't necessarily get to the rim and contest or, or take up a shot against those big defenders because he's not necessarily physically just there right now. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's It might be a combination of all those things, but I've seen Jabari settling for a lot of ugly jump shots, ones that I don't want to see, and I think he's looked best in transition. And we've spoken about, I know you've, you've spoken it on your show, I've definitely spoken about it on here, but Jabari in transition is a weapon, and I think we've seen that a couple times here, that he's too big and he's still fast, 
that if you can get some open space and get into transition, he can be a good player in that sense, whether he's the guy finishing the play or maybe even making the play because he's been a, he's shown that he can be a good passer. But I think once the, the offense has sort of settled into that half-court space, he's really struggled to get off the bounce. He's really sort of let himself settle into those mid-range twos. And they're just shots that aren't good and efficient shots. So it's not really surprising that he's been inefficient. But that said, he's been extremely inefficient to the point where I didn't expect this, uh, this, even if he was playing at power forward or small forward, he's just been at a, a level that I didn't necessarily expect. So it's kind of nuts. But to your point about his defense, and, and you mentioned Trey Lyles, but there was another play that I thought of with Trey Lyles as well. And, and it's important to note that this is Jabari guarding a power forward here. There was a There was a play there where Jabari sort of over-closed out or his closeout was too strong on Trey Lyles and, and Lyles just bounced past him and, and got into the lane pretty easily. And Trey Lyles, whilst he's a nimble power forward, he, we're not talking about Giannis here. He's he's not a, a supreme athlete, but he got past Jabari Parker way too easily. And this is Parker playing at his natural position at power forward. And the commentary on the broadcast was, well, the help needs to come over quicker. Well, and, and whilst that's true, <laughs> you can't be letting a guy like Trey, uh, Trey Lyles take you off the bounce as he gets to the rim. So, look, I, I, I'm trying to not be come across, uh, across as too much of a Parker hater at the moment because I have been, I guess, negative on him at the moment. But... It's kind of hard not to be because, to your point, I didn't expect to be at this point so soon. Yeah, it's very it's weird because like we we were talking like weeks ago on Media Day how Jabari just seems to be blending in. Like, hey, you wouldn't even notice that Jabari, you know, this is his first year as a bull, but now everything is just like fast forward where it's just like, okay, he's had bad games, he got benched, he's not going to accept the role, he's still struggling. It's it's just a lot in. What, this has been like two weeks of preseason like I don't know like we had doubts going into the season that Jabari fit with this team and really the excitement was just built on a paper lineup that you know has all this youth and athleticism of players who were like 24 years old of age or younger so I mean that was the excitement but the problem was still always trying to figure out how this would work because there's only one ball on the court and you know, as you say, Jabari's not a bad off-ball player. Like, he, that corner three, I feel like he's taking that a lot, and he seems comfortable taking it, and he looks good in that corner three. I I want to see more of it, but in a way, it kind of seems like Jabari Parker is the new Zach Levine in the sense that we're kind of talking about Jabari trying to do things that, you know, we wanted to see from Zach last season. When we talked about Zach, we was just like, Okay, Zach Levine, he's pressing too much. He's taking a lot of long twos. He's, you know, stopping the offense too much. He's getting beat on defense. We need to see more off the ball. We want to see a more mature shot selection. Like, it kind of seems like he's kind of taken that same spot. And it's even weirder because now Zach Levine seems to be answering, you know, our prayers and he's doing what we wanted him to do last season. So, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I think Jabari will bounce back because the numbers are just too bad to not play better, but, I, I mean, preseason, while it, it's not a huge, you know, indicator of how everything's going to go, it, it's kind of hard not to be, you know, significantly concerned here. 
Definitely, definitely. And, and I think you've put it pretty eloquently there that there are some issues that are going to be sort of presenting themselves going forward. But nonetheless, it's going to be entertaining to sort of cover those sorts of things. But uh, oh, yeah. it's going to ramp up once marketing's back even as well. So it's going to be an interesting time here. But stepping away from what we've seen on the floor, how do you think or, or what are your thoughts of, uh, about Jabari and the way he sort of handled this situation? You touched on it before that uh, he ducked reporters after the after the Pacers game. That was the first game that he had gone to the bench. He didn't necessarily speak to reporters straight after the game, but I think it was the next day at practice or maybe it was the day after. I think he had uh, he was asked, basically, would he accept the role coming off the bench and given that it was the best for him and the team? And I, I believe his comment was basically no comment. <laughs> so <laughs> what have you made about the way he sort of handled this uh, this demotion? Obviously, it's it's never easy for a player who was once the number, number two pick to... To, to come into a team, get paid $20 million, to be the highest paid player on the team, and then in the fourth game of preseason has to accept that he's coming off the bench. So I understand there's going to be an ego hit here for pretty much most of the league, but what have you made about Jabari? And I guess his comments and the way he sort of handled the situation um, initially, but do you think that may be a problem in itself going forward the, the, and, and what that may do to the locker room if, if this sort of prolong, prolongs itself? I think you hit the nail on the head here. Like it's in any sport, really, if you get paid $20 million and you get benched like in preseason, like that's a, that's a huge ego hit. So I understand why Jabari is not, you know, upbeat about it. You know, I think most people in his, in his situation would not be, but at the same time, you know, you got to be as professional as possible and you got to find ways to help this team win. And what I, what I thought was really interesting was that, uh, Jabari Parker claims that Fred Hoiberg didn't tell him about the change. And Fred Hoiberg claims that he did tell Jabari Parker about the change. And if we remember, this is similar to when Joaquin Noah was removed from the starting lineup when Fred Hoiberg arrived to Chicago. Fred Hoiberg said that he told Joaquin Noah about the change and Joaquin Noah said that Fred Hoiberg didn't. So it, it's a little deja vu here that this is happening. And I, I do think that Jabbar really, really needs to, you know, straighten it up a little bit. Like, again, I, I understand why he's acting like that. And I get that he's pretty blunt about things. We're kind of seeing we're kind of seeing like a trend of that. Like, he's pretty straight to the point. His comments about defense, you know, things like that. But, you know, this is a, a really young team that nobody really wants the drama. Like, we've had our fill of that in the past. We've had it with Jimmy Butler when Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo were here, like this, this team really needs to keep the off court stuff or not, not really off court, but they need to keep, you know, the turmoil stuff, you know, as low as possible. And I think Jabari being somebody who is, you know, what he's a fifth year player. I mean, he's, he's been in the league longer than most of the players on the bulls, especially for, especially the young players. I I think he really kind of needs to lead by example here. I think, you know, whatever he does, I think players, will definitely look at it and consider it significantly. So, you know, I, I do want to see him handle himself better here. Like, I, I want to see him embrace this role. Like, I want to see him kind of embrace it like Bobby Portis was, where you just kind of take it in stride and try and, you know, do the best you can with it. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, uh, I don't think Portis being the sixth man has necessarily uh, prevented him from earning a big contract. Uh, we'll talk Bobby Portis a little later on, but to your point, he's he's accepted that role and he's made it his own. 
and has been super effective at it to the point where he's still going to get a massive payday. He still gets his shots. He still gets his offense, etc. So I don't think it, it's only a hindrance if you make it one. So it, that's kind of up to Jabari to see to sort of see what he does. But we've talked about his inefficiencies and those sorts of things. His scoring hasn't been great. But the one thing he has done, he's rebounded pretty well. And I think his playmaking has been pretty good as well. So averaging just a shade under three assists. So there is scope here for Jabari to get it back together again. But again, it's it's going to come down to him and, and how much he really wants to do it. But I guess moving away from Jabari and, and I guess going now to Zach Levine, because it's an interesting comparison for me because in a lot of ways, these two guys had a lot of similarities coming into this season. They were both uh, ridiculed often for their defense. They were guys that were coming off uh, significant knee injuries, obviously two ACLs for Jabari and only the one for Zach Levine. But they were two players in the same stages of their career, basically came into the league at the same time, earning new deals at the same time. Uh, Offensive players, not much defense, but it would appear that their careers at the moment are sort of uh, going in completely different ways. So we've talked about Jabari Parker really struggling now. Obviously, we've got to afford him more time. He's coming to a new system, a new team, a new city, etc. whereas Zach Levine has been here for the 12 months prior. But having said that, Zach Levine has pretty much been the anti-Jabari Parker in the sense that a lot of the issues that we had with Zach Levine coming into this season, maybe they haven't been fully answered at this point, given it's only been five preseason games, but Zach Levine has been that good. He's, he's, he's been so impressive to me, at least, uh, as someone who, I guess, had some reservations about the new deal that he signed. He, he hasn't fully answered a lot of the questions, but he's gone a long way to show that he's brought a different mindset into how he's playing basketball and that if he can continue to play this way into the regular season, then we've got a different kind of player on our hands here. Absolutely. And I've been following you on Twitter and I like, I've liked seeing your, uh, your 180 on Zach Levine. (laughs) Like you, you've become, you're kind of like the number one Zach Levine fan now. Like I'm, I'm 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 digging Zach Levine. I was like, man, you know, Mark is really he's really. I haven't gone full 180. I'd say maybe you know maybe a 115 or something like that. (laughs) I wasn't completely out on him last season. Obviously, it was tough last season coming back from a uh, from that ACL injury into a situation where the Bulls were actively trying to lose games when he was back and those sorts of things. But I did have my did certainly have my concerns about the contract, the length, the dollars, etc., and and whether he could live up to it, but. The talent was always there. It was just whether he wanted yeah. to apply himself and play that way. But from what I've seen thus far, it looks like is we've got a different Zach Levine here. Just the way he's sort of attacking the basket as an example. He's trying to get the rim way, way more than what he's ever done before. So that in itself is a huge improvement to what we've seen previously. No doubt. And you mentioned that Zach Levine, when he's attacking the basket so far in preseason, he looks really, really good. He, like the way he's finishing, like he's... He's finishing around defenders. He's looking for contact, like, and he's getting like really good elevation. Like, he looks explosive. He looks, he he's still freakishly athletic. Like, this is what we wanted. We wanted him to get into those pick and roll actions, not be afraid to get to the basket and not settle for those jump shots. He's getting to the rim. He's looking for contact, and if he's not getting contact, he's just gonna slam it or he's gonna finish somehow. And I've I really liked what I've seen. I, I had my I had my uh. I had some skepticism too about the uh, the Zach Levine contract, seventy nine million over four years. Uh, again, a lot of money for a player who really hasn't had a, a strong impact on winning in the past. Even though he's really, really talented, but this Zach Levine that we've seen, it, 
he, he looks scary good. He, he looks really, really good. He, he, this is the Zach Levine where you could look at him and say, okay, this guy could be an all-star one day. Because offensively, you're, you're getting the whole package. He can create off the dribble. He, he, look, he looks like a good passer right now. He's moving the ball well. He, he's not killing the shot clock. You know, you'll get some bad shots every now and then, but you can live with that as long as you're getting mostly mature shot selection. And attacking the rim is just the core part of it. And then defensively, you know, he looks okay. He looks a lot better than last year. So okay is something you'll deal with when you're getting offense to this to this level. So, I mean, I, I'm excited for Zach Levine. Like, this is what we wanted. We wanted him to step in, mature his game, and take the next step and you know, maybe this is really what he can do for this season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm certainly hopeful of that fact. And uh, to your point, and um, Zach Levine in this Denver Nuggets game, he had a play today where I caught myself noting about it, thinking about it, thinking that was a bad shot. And it was that play where he had that and one, I think it was in the first quarter, where he took that fadeaway jump shot in the corner there. He got fouled. He made the jumper and he got to the line and hit the free throw as well. So it was a three-point play, if I'm not mistaken. And in itself, whilst that's a cool play, he obviously made the the fall-away jumper whilst getting fouled and and got to the line. He did stop the ball because prior to the ball getting there, it was whipping around nicely until it got to Zach Levine in the corner. He had an open Chris Dunn on the perimeter there on the 45, but instead of passing it to Dunn, who then could have kicked it back out to Holiday for an open three, Zach sort of stopped the ball. And I caught myself sort of analyzing that play and thinking, well, that that was really bad. I know he made that shot and and that was nice and all and he got to the line, but that wasn't a great play because he sort of killed that ball movement. But to your point, you can sort of live with those occasional plays if he's giving you efficient offense and, you know, 85, 90% of the time the shots he he is taking are good and effective ones. And that's kind of the Levine we've seen, whereas last season that shot that he may have taken in the corner there, that would have been coupled with a, you know, maybe four, five, six other terrible shots along the flow of the game. But this time around, there's only been maybe one, two, maybe occasionally that third bad shot, or not bad, but questionable shot. But you can live with that when, you know, in 22 minutes as he's been playing in preseason thus far, he's given you 18 points, hitting over 50% from the three, almost 44% from the three-point line and his true shooting percentage is through the roof. So when you're getting that level of efficiency and those that volume of points that quickly and he's attacking the basket and trying to get into the lanes as, as frequently as he has, you can sort of live, the, uh, live with those plays. So I caught myself in this instance thinking on that one possession, it was a bad shot. But then when you sort of step away from it and think, okay, I can sort of deal with that one shot if he's giving me 90% of the time good basketball. It's okay. So I don't know. Whilst I've been very positive, Levine, I don't want to go off the deep end because this is just five games. Of course, it's it's a small sample. But the uh, what we've seen thus far, it's been super encouraging. He's getting to the line almost five times here in preseason in 22 minutes a game. So that just illustrates the, the different type of Levine that we've sort of seen over the, the first five games of preseason. Yeah, and last season, the, the he had the volume and, you know, he was taking on a lot of uh, offensive responsibility. I think he averaged about uh, 4.5 assists per 36 minutes, something like that. So, you know, He'll he'll likely have something similar to start of the season with marketing out. And, you know, while Chris Dunn has played well overall, I think the one thing about Chris Dunn so far this preseason is that we really haven't seen him, you know, be the quarterback of this offense yet. 
and we we really haven't seen like a lot in terms of shot creation or you know just pure point guard play. So and, and I mentioned this on uh, our, our past episode. You know, would that mean that Zach Levine is going to you know be you know maybe maybe we give Zach Levine a little bit more point guard responsibility in the sense that okay let's run more pick and roll let's get him to create for others and you know let's see if he can you know carry that mature shot selection over and you know just balance out the overall offense and you know to me if we're if we're looking at him playing like this I, I'm optimistic that he can continue to do that where he. Maybe we look at Zach Levine as the primary facilitator of this offense because right now I feel like this offense goes through a, a lot of spells where the ball just freezes out and players just get caught looking and they don't know, you know, they don't know really what to do with it. I mean, we, we saw it a lot this game where it just causes a lot of silly turnovers and players are just standing and watching. So, you know, any anytime we got Zach Levine, you know, in those pick and roll actions and getting to the rim, Usually good things happen, whether it was ball movement from it or whether it was Levine finishing. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what Levine can do and whether he can whether or not he can carry this over into the regular season. You know, it what what he's done so far has matched what he's talked about in the offseason. So that's exciting to see that Levine really has put in the work and that he really has been aware of the things that prevented him from playing so well last year when he returned from the ACL and it's also possible that you know not having to uh rehab from this knee injury and having actually actually having a full all season of regular training that maybe that was extremely beneficial as well yeah I think that's a good point it's probably an understated one one we sort of take for granted the fact that he actually had a preseason well one to build his body we uh, he's, he's talked about that he's in the the fittest shape of his life but more importantly, he had a preseason to sort of gel with his teammates, and I think that's pretty pretty evident on the floor. And to illustrate our point about him being an efficient scorer, he, against the Hornets, he had 26 points in 21 minutes on 15 shots. You, you can definitely take that, even if the, you know there's a couple of bad shots in there. Um, you, you'll take that level of efficiency every single time. And then against the Indiana Pacers, playing against a good defensive squad... 22 points in 28 minutes on 14 shots. So that in that in itself is good shooting. Today against the Nuggets, only played the half. He didn't necessarily get out there in that second half. The Bulls elected to sort of rest him there. And uh, for whatever reason, put in uh, Ryan Archidiakono in, in Zach's place there. But again, uh, 12 points on eight shots in 18 minutes, shooting 62.5% from the field, connected on his 1-3. So... Basically, from an efficiency standpoint, Zach Levine has given me everything that I wanted. He wasn't efficient last season. The way he's scoring or, or trying to score the ball, he's giving me everything I want, so I can't complain there. So if he maintains this level of, of efficiency, I'll be very happy. And from there, I guess it'll be about building building onto his playmaking ability, which is sort of touched on there, that the fact that Dunn necessarily hasn't been the quarterback of the offense just yet. We've seen a little bit more of Zach Levine in pick and roll and those sorts of things. But in this in this Denver game, there were a lot of t- uh, turnovers on the ball. So the Bulls really do need to clean that up. That's that's on Zach Levine and Chris Dunn to, uh, to do, given that they are the starting backcourt. So those two today against the Denver Nuggets combined for only uh, three assists, but 10 turnovers. So hopefully that's an aberration, but that's something they'll need to clean up. But I mean, that's that's something we can sort of hope to see maybe once we're into December, January, those sorts of things. I guess the first 
couple months for Levine, he's, he's hoping he can maintain this kind of uh, of efficiency and scoring prowess, which I'll definitely take. And it'll go a long way into proving that he's worth that contract. So I'm, I'm very bullish on, on Levine. But let's talk Chris Dunn. What have you made about him uh, in preseason thus far? Because to me, he's sort of gone under the radar. Didn't necessarily have a great game against the Nuggets today. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before, he and Levine com- combined for 10 turnovers, six of those being uh, from Dunn. So what have you made from Dunn just generally where he sort of fits into this uh, into this rotation now that we've seen Zach Levine really handling the ball and being that focal point? Uh, what, what, what have you made of Dunn? Dunn looks good. He's, uh, I, I, I mentioned the playmaking thing. Really, that's my only uh, issue with him so far. But overall, he looks good defensively. I mean, we know what he can do defensively. I mean, he's he's just a pest. And uh, I, I think it was after the Zach Levine three-point play where he forced a turnover in the backcourt on uh, fo- immediately following that. And he, he's just had a lot of really good defensive plays so far in the preseason. I mean, at, at a position at, at point guard where there really aren't a lot of premium defenders, and while while some argue that it's not an important position defensively, you know, having a player like Dunn, who is just so versatile and, and pesky and has the, the strength and the size to, you know, you know, defend stronger guards as well. And, you know, has the wingspan and is active, like having that is a luxury. So I, I love what I've seen from Dunn defensively, um, offensively, you know, the still a work in progress, but really hasn't been bad overall outside of the playmaking. I, one thing I will say, though, is that there have been times during preseason where I, I really want Dunn to just shoot the ball, where he, he'll get ball, like he'll he'll get the ball off a of ball movement, but instead of taking the wide open three, he'll kind of wait for the defender to come and then kind of pump fake and then decide to drive. And I I really want him to get in the habit of just kind of naturally just shooting it. Like I know I, I know his jump shot is still in development, but I, I kind of want him to get to the point where. Uh, like Bobby Portis, where you're just getting the ball and shooting. There's no hesitation. It's all just a fluid movement. Because I remember when Bobby Portis was a rookie, and you know, I feel like he was hesitant sometimes to shoot. And I think part of that was that his jump shot movement was really kind of slow. Like there was one, at one point, Bobby Portis kind of had a little bit of a hitch when he first came into the league, and you know, he kind of like paused for a second at the top. I just want to see. I want to see Dunn just, you know, be confident to take those shots and, you know, deliver that. Because if if a lot of the ball uh, ball handling is going to be shared in the offense, there are going to be a lot of times when Chris Dunn is just getting open threes and he's just going to have to take them without hesitation. And, you know, that type of shot without hesitation is better than a shot where you're overthinking it. So uh, overall, yeah, I, I love what I, I've seen from Chris Dunn. Yeah, it's been a bit of a weird one for me with Dunn because I think there's been a lot of positives. Like you, you just look at his shooting percentages and you're like, wow, that's pretty much what I did not expect. He's been super efficient from the field. His true shooting percentage is really strong. His PER, his player efficiency rating, that that's really good, even though he hasn't necessarily had huge volumes. But to that point, he hasn't necessarily shot the ball a lot, which is what, what you sort of alluded to there, that whilst his percentages are really nice, we haven't seen Dunn really actively looking for his own offense, which I guess 
is a good thing given that Zach Levine is out there trying to get the ball some scores. They're trying to integrate Jabari Parker, even Wendell Carter Jr. So there's a lot of offense around him that he doesn't necessarily need to look for his his own shot or, or shot or hunt that out sort of thing. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Dunn. But having said that, the shots he's taken, they have been pretty good. He's been efficient on it. But at the same time, he's had a few games here where his turnover rate has been really problematic. His, his assist to turnover ratio at the moment is basically one for one. So you don't necessarily want to see that. But typical Chris Dunn, great great defense, strong rebounding for a point guard. Obviously, the steals are there. The shooting has been there, um, even albeit on lo- lower volume. But um, he still needs to clean up his, his point guard role, I guess, because I don't know about you, but watching that Denver Nuggets game today, there was a few... There was a few moments where he was just loose with the ball and loose with his handle, which has been a problem Dunn has sort of sort of had ever since he entered the league. But he's had a couple of turnovers, not necessarily just because he was throwing a bad pass and it got intercepted, but just bad turnovers where he sort of lost handle of the ball and the, the defense just swooped on it and led to transition buckets. So, what are you wanting to see from Dunn? What do you think is the main uh, main main area of weakness or, or spot of his game at the moment that you want to uh, see him improve on? Assuming his shooting percentages may, maybe not necessarily maintained, but uh, aren't necessarily an issue. What other areas do you think Dunn needs to clean up straight away for this this Bulls team to be effective? Uh, I want to see I want to see more improvement finishing at the rim because uh, I, I feel like Dunn is good at getting to the rim. Like he's got a you know good first step. He's very athletic. You know, good explosion. And uh, it, it just doesn't seem like he's he's really erratic when he you know gets at the rim. Like he just doesn't. He just kind of throws it up. I feel like there's no really rhyme or reason. So if that, if we're assuming that his shooting is you know decent at you know maybe respectable value, I would like to see you know a few plays each game where we kind of see Dunn being able to finish at the rim well and getting to the line more, where he kind of uses that size and strength he has, whether to draw contact or just to you know further his advantage at the rim. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And with his size, he can, he should be able to get get to the rim at will. And I think it's something he can do. But he, yeah, he he really needs to close on on his ability to finish at the rim. So whilst whilst I, for me, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Dunn. I think there have been some positives there that I think we can take into the into the season. And probably more holistically, I think he and Levine as a combination have looked okay as well. So. When we were talking about the, you know, in preseason, there was a lot of uh, debates about the co- the cohesion of sort of Levine, Don, Parker, and obviously Lowry, but Lowry's out now. But we can at least tick off at, for the moment that Levine and Dunn have kind of looked good together. And in theory, they obviously meshed well together. But I think we've sort of started to see that on the court as well, that their games sort of translate well together. And I think Dunn has been cognizant of the fact that he sort of needs to let Levine take over a little bit at times in terms of that ball handling ability. So I want to see Dunn being a little bit more aggressive and getting to the rim as he sort of alluded to there. But let's move on to Bobby Portis, who is a player that definitely doesn't need any, uh, <laughs> definitely doesn't need any influence in terms of uh, getting his shot up or anything of that nature. He's more than happy to do that. But I want to get your take on Bobby Portis thus far, because whilst I've been super impressed with Zach Levine, I think it's fair to say Bobby Portis has been right there with him in terms of the Bulls' best and most consistent player through preseason. So let's talk Bobby Portis. Let's talk about what you've seen from him in terms of his play. But then I also want to talk about his contract situation, which is definitely going to be something to uh, to monitor over the coming days. So what have you made from Portis and the way he sort of approached preseason? And do you think him as a starter is something that's viable for, maybe not for the Bulls, but for another team going forward? 
man, if Bobby Portis is like auditioning for other team, he's making a damn good case for it right now because yeah. he he he's looking really really good and you know you can see the impact that he has not only you know so like not only replacing marketing for the time being but just what his energy brings to a team like we mentioned it earlier in the show that when bobby is on the floor the team just seems to have an extra bounce like people players feed off of his energy and joakim noah had like that similar effect when He's on the floor. It's just contagious. Like, you see a guy playing that hard. You see a guy that's into it. And, you know, granted, some of the chest bumps, like, up 2-0 are funny. And it's just like, okay, man. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think he me. did that this game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think dumb. he, like, yeah, like, I, I think uh, he, he scored on Millsap. Maybe it was, like, 4-2. And he just yeah. had, like, a loud prime. I'm just like, okay, man. But, you know, that stuff is contagious. Like, that's what you need. And, you know, considering the Bulls lineup was so flat, like the first few games, and they were just getting behind early. Like Portis's role just seems to just be be very contagious. And uh, Sam Smith kind of alluded to something like that in his mailbag today. Uh, I don't know if you read it, but somebody asked a question about Bobby Portis, and you know he he talked you know in detail about how Portis has been like a really positive locker room guy for the Bulls, and how you know players look up to him and they're feeding off of him. And how they really respected that he pretty much told Dwayne Wade to stick it a few seasons ago. So, you know, Bobby's just looked good. Like, offensively, I, I think the biggest the biggest thing that continues to always stick out of, of, about Portis for me is that his jump shot is just significantly better. Like, I, I mentioned that he used to have, like, a really, really slow movement in his shot. It wasn't fluid at all. He kind of had a little bit of a hitch. But now when Portis gets the ball, it, it, there's no hesitation. He's getting the ball and he's he's shooting it, like he's taking the open shots. He's taking good shots, and he still has that strength down low to just body you and get and get to the rim and just you know finish in the pose. Like he was doing that to Paul Millsap, who while Millsap is like six eight six nine, Millsap's a strong dude, and Portis was just taking him down low like it was nothing, and and that's just really good to see. And Portis is also a really underrated passer as well. Like his assist numbers continue to get better. Uh, each year and I I know the biggest criticism about Portis is that he's not a good defender and I I agree with that but we've seen players talk about how he's been more vocal and you know he's trying to communicate and how that's been helping the defense you know Chris Dunn talked about that so you know if Portis doesn't have the speed to really keep up with the faster players his effort it's there like one thing I'll never question about Bobby Portis, like Joe Noah, is the effort. These guys are going to give you, you know, all that they have every single game. And, you know, regardless of flaw. So I, I like that about Portis, that you know each game he's into it. Like, you don't have to give him a pep talk. He's, he's going to be out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really optimistic about what we've seen from Bobby Portis and uh, again, if this is an audition for other teams, I, I think a lot of teams are kind of you know licking their chops right now to see what the Bulls you know end up doing with him. Yeah, and look, you mentioned before that we didn't necessarily expect to to be here with Jabari Parker five games in talking about him being the most expensive reserve going around. But to be honest with you, I didn't expect to be here five games into the into the preseason crowing about Zach Levine and Bobby Portis being this good. <laughs> uh, but that wasn't definitely on brand for me. So this is weird for me to be talking so. So highly of these two guys, but 
Portis has a lot like Levine, just been scoring buckets at will to the point where he's almost scoring as many points as, as minutes as he's as he's been playing. So 17 points in 22 minutes through preseason. He probably had his worst game in preseason against the the Nuggets today, scoring only 10 points and seven rebounds. But for the five games, 17 points, six rebounds, 22 minutes. And he's done that without necessarily shooting well from three. So only 26% from the three-point line. So it's not like he's been going off from the three-point line and getting buckets from there. He's been doing work inside the post and inside the lanes and getting his buckets below the three-point line. So whilst we expect that three-point percentage to sort of go up because we've seen Bobby Portis be a decent three-point shooter, he hasn't relied on that. So he's becoming a an offensive piece off the bench, obviously, obviously starting now, but He's proving that he can, at minimum, be a very good offensive player in the NBA. Someone that's going to give you that energy and he's going to give you a lot of rebounds as well. But it's getting to an interesting point here with Portis because he's extension eligible right now, but he's only extension eligible until October 15th, I believe. So that's that's pretty much uh, coming up in the next couple of days. Well, I think whilst when this show is released, that'll pretty much be October 15th. So... By then, we may or may not know whether the Bulls and Portis have sort of reached an extension, but you and I had a bit of an exchange on Twitter, and it was because I was just sort of watching that Pacers game, and Bobby Portis was playing a really good game in that one, and I was just thinking, you know, what the hell should the Bulls do with Portis? Should they try to extend him now? Should they wait? Should they trade? (laughs) There's a few ways this could realistically and justifiably go, but... Him being this good thus far, and we talked about him being that emotional and vocal leader on the floor, whilst you don't necessarily just pay a guy because he's a a leader, I think it plays a part in as well and and sort of adds value. But what do you think the Bulls should be doing here at the the moment with Bobby Portis? And do do you think it makes sense to be extending him right now if you can? We've just sort of seen the the Miami Heat reach an extension with uh, Justin Swinslow giving him a three-year, $13 million deal. That may in itself be a bit of a proxy into what Bobby Portis may be asking or what he may be receiving. But uh, what do you think the Bulls should be doing here with Portis as we move closer to his uh, extension date? This is becoming a really, really complicated uh, situation, I think, with Bobby Portis. And I... I wrote earlier in the offseason that I thought that Bobby Portis, while good and, you know, clearly a valuable player in this league, that when you have Lowry Markin and, and now you have Wendell Carter Jr., that would you really want to invest a lot of money in a third big? But you're looking at, you know, as you mentioned, a player who has an impact on teammates with his vote, uh, being vocal, with his leadership, you know, with his emotions, like, you know, just taking a player out of the locker room like that who has that type of impact like that, that's meaningful. And I, I think players would kind of, there, there'd be a, there'd be some sort of void there. So with, with Portis, it, it's really tough because logically you're saying to yourself, okay, we would prefer to keep this money just in case we can, you know, convince some star player I guess I, I guess that's what you know most think that okay let's let's try and get a star player here and we're not gonna wor- or we're not gonna worry about you know a bench player but I mean those are kind of the pipe dreams and Portis is kind of a player that is doing really well for the team and continues to improve season after season so I, I, I don't know I, I think 13 million for like you mentioned Justice Winslow that's a lot of money over let's say I guess four years that's what 52 million Maybe Portis could push fifty, uh, or maybe Portis could push fifteen million. I'm not sure, but I mean that's a lot of money for a 
reserve player, but at the same time, you know you're getting a player who keeps putting in the work and is getting better each season. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the, an extension isn't going to be reached by October 15th, and I feel like they are going to play it out till, uh, into restricted free agency. But, uh, I mean, it, it's it's really amazing kind of like the terms we've gone through with uh, the supporters thing because I feel like maybe a few years ago that this would have been an easy call and fans would have been like, okay, let's let them walk. But now we're at the point where it's like, I don't know, it, it could really go either way. Like, it, it's to me, it seems 50-50, I guess. Like, what do you think? Yeah, it's a good one. And you mentioned a few years, but I think it can only go back a few podcast episodes for when I was talking about <laughs> it. And I was of the opinion at that point that the Bulls should absolutely not extend Bobby Portis because to me, that was a logical thing. His cap hold is around seven and a half, eight million million, $8 million, somewhere in that vicinity. If you are going to extend him, you definitely don't want to extend him to an amount too much greater than that because you're going to be costing yourself cap space in 2019, as you sort of mentioned. But now, it's not, I'm not necessarily moving away from that point, but maybe I'm second-guessing it a little bit because Portis has been that good that if you don't necessarily sign him now to an extension and you may be able to get him on a maybe a more team-friendly extension now uh, versus what you could in, say, 12 months' time or maybe nine months' time more accurately, if you wait and don't extend him now, say, let's, let's just pretend we can get Bobby Portis for, uh, to re-sign for four years, $50 million. So about $12.5 million per season, which is effectively what Nikola Miritich was earning per season when he signed his uh, new deal with the Bulls. So I think that's doable. I think that's could be argued from both sides, or at least from the Bulls' sides, that it's, it's, a, it's a good number to have. But let's just assume the scenario where the Bulls don't necessarily do that, they don't extend him and are looking for that cap side of things for 2019, and they try to make a splash in free agency, they will probably miss. I, I doubt they're going to get a big a, a big free agent through the doors, but it probably is, you know, they need to do their due diligence and keep that max space open. But assuming they do that, and then another team comes around and tries to swoop in on Bobby Portis and maybe offers him four years, $15 million per year, maybe even higher, $17 million per year, sort of taking that contract towards a, a four-year, $70 million deal, something of that nature. It's almost a do, uh, a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation from the front office because if they sign him now to what we perceive a team-friendly deal, there'll be question marks about it being why would you sign him now when you've cost yourself maybe $5 million in cap space or additional cap space. But even if they don't sign him now or bring him to that extension, we could reach a situation in nine months' time when we're saying, why didn't the Bulls front office extend him when he was at a cheaper value? Um, if, if they have to go on ahead and match uh, an, an offer that he sort of receives going forward from a team that may be in that or a vicinity of four years and $70 million. So it's kind of a hard one for the, the front office. And Bobby Portis is making it hard because his play has been that good. If he was struggling and wasn't necessarily performing, then you know the position of waiting and not necessarily extending him makes a lot more sense. But he's out here. We, we quoted his numbers before. He's doing really well. And I guess the situation's a bit convoluted as well because we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with Jabari Parker and his $20 million next season. But if Jabari's off the books for $20 million, Ashik and Robin Lopez, big contracts are gone as well, then maybe you can sort of stomach bringing Bobby Portis back as the main big off the bench at $12, $13 million if someone like Lopez is gone and his $14 million contract's gone. If Jabari Parker and him being a power forward and his $20 million, if he's gone, then maybe it makes it 
uh, I guess more justifiable to keep uh, Bobby Portis around now at an extension amount and sort of just move away from that risk of losing him in free agency. Yeah, and the other the other part about this as is that th- there should be more teams with money in the off season or, Correct, or next yeah. summer. Yeah, and you know this past season, you know there were a lot of players that were frozen out. Like I think Marcus Smart was frozen out for a little while. Even someone as good as Clint Capella, you know, it, it took a while to really get a deal from Houston. But next summer, someone like Bobby Portis, who will be, I, I think he'll be twenty four years old, and you know doesn't really have a ton of burn on him yet like that's that's valuable like a team will will really look at him as like okay we can put this guy in our lineup he's a prototypical stretch four he can score inside as well like you know there's there's a lot of value to be had here so I I think you hit the nail on the head this is a damn if you do damn if you don't situation you know the Bulls could really be kicking themselves you know in the butt here either way so it's it's really really tough and I'm I, I'm not really sure what they should do. Like it, it's tough because I, I don't know. Portis is playing really well. You, you want to keep this guy, but you know at the same time you don't want you know your third big you know long term to be the reason why you don't land you know potentially an all star player who may or may not want to come here. Yeah, it, it's it, look. It's a tough situation. It's, it's definitely one that's going to be a fluid one as well. Even through the through the regular season, obviously if the Bulls don't sign Bobby Portis, then he does become a trade candidate. Um, you know, instead of maybe letting him not maybe not letting him walk, but losing him in free agency because you don't necessarily want to pay him seventeen million dollars. Let's say there's a situation out there where teams like the Brooklyn Nets, who will have the ability to sign maybe two max guys in in free agency, they don't necessarily get one, but then they go after maybe some younger players coming off restricted free agency who they could potentially throw a contract at. We've seen them do that before in the past, and maybe Portis would be someone that'd be interesting in pairing a guy like Jared Allen with. So that could be a nice 4-5 combination for the Nets. So the Bulls have to have almost two, two eyes on this. They need to be thinking about it now, what makes financial sense for them now and into 2019 but and beyond. But like we sort of talked about, there's, there's a lot of things that could need to sort of happen here in this space. But it's a complicated one for the Bulls front office. I'm going to give him, I'll give him that. I think it's one where there's a situation here where depending on things, how how they play out, there's a situation here where we're sort of blaming them and the way they handle this going forward, irrespective of what they do. I think it's a, it's that tough. But um, I, I just hope it's not like one a Jimmy Butler type situation where we could have had Butler at four years, $40 million or something of that nature, four years, $44 million. And maybe they've learned from that where they didn't extend Butler. And then, you know, not 12 months down the track, he, we had to, the Bulls had to sign him for a max max deal. Now, obviously, Portis isn't going to command a max deal, but whilst you wait and you play that free agency game and you don't extend Portis, you could cost yourself more money in, in the sense of um, when you try to bring him back later on. So... It's a complicated situation, one that we're obviously monitor and we'll learn in a couple of days where this thing is heading. But I wanted to close the show by talking about the rookies and specifically Wendell Carter Jr. So I don't know about you, Edward, but I'm super high on this dude. And this is going to be end up being probably the most positive Bulls HQ ever. <laughs> but, um, I, I just can't get enough of this guy. Every time I see him on the floor... I think he's the real deal. I've, I mentioned it on the last show that I think there's potential here for him to be, um, maybe if he's not the best Chicago Bull, certainly the most complete Chicago Bull in the next couple of years. But I was sort of waiting to see whether uh, 
Wendell Carter Jr. should be the starter of this team. And I was sort of giving that reservation to, at least initially, to to Robin Lopez. I was, I was thinking he should be starting in that stand spot. But I'm completely on board now with Wendell Carter Jr. starting at center, given what we've seen from him, but also what we haven't seen from Robin Lopez. But let's close the show on your thoughts on what you've seen from Wendell Carter Jr. in this last week, particularly as a starter, and what you think that means for the team going forward as we head into the regular season, um, with the regular season sort of tipping off next week. I love Wendell Carter Jr., so let me just preface that. I get, let me get that out of the way. I love Wendell Carter Jr. He is, to me, if we could have like a team almost of 15 Wendell Carter Juniors, like that would be fine with me because I just love the way that he plays the game. He's just smart. He's got the fundamentals down. He's got terrific instincts. Like I, I don't think people realize like how rare it is for like Wendell Carter's what 19 or maybe just turned 19. Like I, I don't think people realize how rare it is for a center to come into the league with the defensive instincts that he has, the fundamentals that he has, the all-around skill that he has, like, to me, that represents sneaky high upside. And I always said that about Wendell Carter Jr. Like, you'll you'll watch a game, and, you know, this happened a lot of times at Duke. you watch a game. It, it doesn't really seem like Wendell Carter's done much, but you look up at the box score. Wendell Carter has, like, 17 points. Nine rebounds, like four assists. He he's got a great defensive rating, and you know he's just making players better. He makes he makes lineups better, and I, I think that's kind of where the Al Horford comparisons kind of came from because you know Al Horford you know has this you know longstanding reputation for just being more than the stats, and you know he could have a, a game where he has like eight point six rebounds and three assists. But you look up and he's leading, you know, the team in plus or minus. So uh, Wendell Carter Jr. He, he's just fantastic, and I, I've loved what I've seen from him in preseason. Like you, I, I'm fully on board with starting him. Like I, I think it makes complete sense now. And you know, w- we talked all show about things that we didn't expect to be talking about so soon. I, I didn't expect to be talking about this right now. Like I, I didn't expect to be talking about Wendell Carter Jr as the opening night starter and I I think he's earned it this team plays quicker they play better with him on the floor and you know I I think he's mature enough as a a prospect to give him that responsibility for like he's he's ready for it we need his defense we need his passing which is phenomenal very very underrated passer and while the shooting is still coming along not a bad shooter respectable it's still coming along you know, he, he just brings so much everywhere else that, I mean, it's hard not to be amazed by what he does. Like, I, I agree with you. I think I think two, three, you know, four years down the line, we'll be looking at Wendell Carter Jr. as one of the most, as the most complete Chicago Bull. And I fully expect him to be, you know, one of the most complete centers in the NBA. Like, I, I fully expect a, a high-level impact player. Like, I'm not really an MVP or anything like that, but... You know, we'll always look at him, we'll always look at the advanced stats, and we'll see that he consistently has a positive winning impact on games. Definitely. And look, everything you mentioned there was key, but I think the most important thing you said, or the most important word you mentioned was earn. And that was my biggest concern. I didn't want to necessarily just gift Wendell Carter Jr. the starting job, whilst someone like Robin Lopez was still existent, existing on the roster, but... To your point, Wendell Carter Jr. has thoroughly earned that starting spot. And be that in his own play, but also Robin Lopez's poor play, 
Wendell Carter Jr. is currently the best center on this roster. He has earned the right to start come opening night, and I think he needs to. And that's, again, we opened the show talking about the, the lineup change that Fred made, but he, he made two changes. One was the Portis for Parker change, which was ballsy in itself. But then he's gone in and thrown his rookie center straight into it, and he hasn't looked back from there. So props to Hoiberg for doing that, but more importantly, props to Wendell Carter Jr. for earning that spot and really taking it away from Lopez. And I think he has to be the starting center uh, come opening night, and he's earned that sort of thing. And I can't wait to see him wex to Bobby Portis, but more importantly, I can't wait to see him with Larry Markman once he gets back. That's going to be... Super exciting. I didn't expect to see them getting too many minutes together at the start of the season because I had just, just assumed Lopez would be starting next to marketing, but it's going to be happening sooner than later, and I'm really happy about that. And Wendell Carter Jr., just the little things he does on the floor, some of them that go unnoticed, even as a rookie, as a 19-year-old. We talked about it before, but it's just insane. So super high on this guy. I can't wait to see what he does. I hope he, Hopefully, he sort of just builds throughout the season, and I hope the same can be said for... For all the Bulls, particularly guys like Zach Levine, Portis, and even Jabari Parker, who we talked extensively about before. But that pretty much wraps up the show as we wrap up preseason. So the, the preseason is, is done. I'm glad that it's over. And we sort of head towards the real stuff now, kicking off the regular season on the road against the Philadelphia 76ers on Thursday, October 18th. So what do you, what do you think about that one, Edward? How do you think that one will shape up? Do you think this... This Bulls team that isn't necessarily that great is gonna. Well, how do you think they'll perform against the the oh, rising man. sixes there on the road? That, that's, a, that's a hell of a way to start the season against Philadelphia and uh, the the lineups that they play there are so versatile. I mean, Ben Simmons. I mean, I'm not even really sure what to classify Ben Simmons as because when he's just on the floor, like he could really be any position. You yeah. know, really he's just a freak. Just a freak. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if Joel Embiid isn't on the floor, Ben Simmons is point guard. He's either shooting. He's, he's any position. And it's just crazy. But, yeah, Philadelphia is really talented. They're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they can play. They can beat you in so many different ways. They can beat you up tempo. They can beat you half court. Uh, ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Markel Fultz has looked uh, pretty solid in preseason. They have J.J. Redick. Uh yeah, this is going to be a, a pretty good test. You're you're opening against a very quality opponent, and if your if your defense is looking like it it has for us in the preseason, I mean, you might be a little worried there right now because I mean Philadelphia is not easy to guard. So uh, I, I'm a I'm excited just because the regular season is here, and you know Zach Levine's played well, Portis has played well, Wendell Carter Jr. has earned the starting role. Like I'm excited for these things, but then. You know, it's bittersweet because we're playing a really good team on the road where things could, you know, if we don't have a good start, they could get ugly and really quickly. Yeah, and look, I, I, I'm not expecting a win here, and I don't think I'm not sure if there's going to be too much that we can necessarily take away from that Sixers game, but maybe there's a more winnable game on Saturday, game two of the season, the Bulls opener at home against the Detroit Pistons again. That'll be a nice game. I think an opportunity for an early season win before the Bulls hit the road on Monday, October 22, facing the Dallas Mavericks and that exciting young backcourt they have. So it's going to be an interesting couple of games for the Bulls as they open their season. That first one against the Sixers, for me at least, is on a Friday afternoon or a lunchtime. So I might have to take find a way to take an extended lunch there to get in game one of the <laughs> season. But 
Look, it's going to be an interesting week. I'm getting excited as the situation sort of sort of builds towards that regular season. Obviously, there's going to be a lot lot of information to sort of digest before the first game even gets underway, which of course I'm alluding to the Bobby Porter stuff, along with how Jabari sort of handles this going forward and if the low, uh, the, the new lineup that we're sort of seeing sort of heads into the opener there. But I appreciate you jumping on here, man, and taking me through. The last few games of preseason, talking about what we're seeing, it's been fun. But before you step away, I want you to let everyone know where they can follow you online and more importantly, plug your podcast because there's a new one. Having said that, even though it's new, you've been pumping out content, but let the people know where they can follow you online. Yeah, uh, please follow us at uh, Bulls Gold. That's uh, Bulls Gold on Twitter. Uh, Check out our website. Uh, We've launched it, still developing some stuff out there, but it's it's Chicago Bulls Gold dot com again the chicago bulls gold.com and yeah check out the podcast man it is we've been having a great time doing it mark has been on for a few episodes we've had doug tonus on there we've had a lot of different guests on there uh we've been having a blast on there uh shout out to Celine sudawala who uh has been with me on this podcast for a while and uh yeah check it out we release new episodes uh usually every monday with preseason we've been like trying to do some like post games and pre games so you know we've been kind of you know do, been doing it like a little spontaneously but uh yeah check it out it's just real fun like it's just really fun to you know talk about bull stuff on these podcasts and you know yeah i'm i'm excited for it so yeah uh, give us a look and let us know what you think do me a favor people go follow edward on on twitter as we on, on his twitter handle as well at edward Schuler jr on twitter but also follow the show do me that favor it's a good bulls podcast as edward been on there i've been on there maybe avoid those episodes they're probably the two worst but um every every other one definitely subscribe to his show but edward thanks for coming on man i really appreciate it yeah man anytime i definitely want to come back on and uh yeah we got to get you back on as well so uh yeah, so let me let me ask you one more question before we wrap up. This is I mean to ask you this uh, when we were talking about Bobby Porter. So, uh, if the Bulls get off to a slow start, or maybe not so slow, but let's say they have a rough season by the trade deadline, do you think that they trade Bobby Porter? Like, is that something that becomes more plausible if you're just kind of completely out of it? You're thinking about a draft pick. Like, would you trade Bobby Porter? I would be looking to trade Jabari Parker. So if I had to pick between the two, and they're both effectively in a similar situation where they both could potentially be free agents. And with Jabari Buck, obviously his contract's a little bit a little bit more inflated. Maybe he could be a big, fat, expiring deal. I don't know if it's possible, but it's something to think about. But I don't know, can you get much back for Bobby Porterson in return at that point? He's a big man. Big men aren't necessarily in vogue. Obviously, he's still a modern big man as such, but... A team, would they be willing to trade for him if they can sort of sign him in free agency, assuming they've got cap space? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of positioning it in my head where the Bulls should maybe stick or keep Bobby Portis around and sort of part ways with Jabari Parker and have only one of those guys be the backup power forward moving forward. And I'd rather that be Bobby. And in my head, I have these grand illusions of luring Taj Gibson back to Chicago as a, that backup center <laughs> once Robin Lopez is out of here. So... I would kind of be completely on board with bringing Taj back, having him be that backup center with Bobby being the backup power forward with Wendell and Larry Markin being our starters. That's my grand plan as we sit here today in October, obviously <laughs> nine months out from yeah. our free agency, but that's sort of how I'm thinking. I saw you mention that on Twitter and I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, Taj Gibson, like, I mean, I think this is last year his contract with Minnesota. I mean, bringing him back as like a backup center next year would 
that that actually be a good idea. Like a, just another good veteran leader to have. You know, he's you know been through with the Bulls. Like that'd be nice to have with the young players. Yeah, and like, that was me just being selfish in a sense. Taj is one of my favorite Bulls of all time, <laughs> so I just want to see him back. But it sort of makes sense generally as well. So. I don't know. To answer your question, I'm probably leaning away from trading Bobby Portis, which is something I didn't necessarily think I'd say because I was probably more in the space of don't re-sign him uh, or sorry, don't extend him, maybe look towards trading him. But when he's been playing this damn good, maybe he is a core piece. I don't know. We'll see obviously as the season progresses, but yeah. he's, he's been very good to the point where he's making, making me second guess myself as Zach Levine has been doing. So interesting preseason, but uh, we'll, we'll see how the, the regular season sort of uh, shapes up once it gets going. But, mate, look, we could be, we could probably end up talking for another three hours, to be honest with you. But uh, I appreciate yeah, you jumping I mean, yeah, on. It's, yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, you're the number one Zach Levine fan, the number one Bobby Portis fan. Like, oh, I, I'm no. liking What's these developments on? now. <laughs> What's going on? You, I'll soon be standing for, for Denzel Valentine, and that's when you know I've gone full 180. But, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> we'll, wow. We'll, we'll see about that one. <laughs> Well, look, man, again, I appreciate you jumping on. And um, like we said before, yeah, everyone go ahead and follow Edward online. Do me that favor. Yes, please, uh, please check out Bulls Gold. Uh, again, every Monday we'll be doing it. So, yeah, looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Perfect, man. We'll, we'll talk again soon. All right. Awesome. All right, folks. So that pretty much wraps up the show. We've gone a bit long here, but it's we had a lot to talk about given the amount of changes that have sort of gone on in the last week for the Bulls through preseason here. There's a lot of a lot of news to sort of talk about, and I'm tipping over the next week there's going to be a lot more news to discuss. So we'll be back again same time next week talking about Bobby Portis's extension, if it happened or not, seeing what the Bulls do with their starting lineup as well as actually talking about real regular season basketball games. I can't wait. So be on the lookout for the next episode, the first episode of the regular season and follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops on Twitter, as well as the podcast at Bulls HQ on Twitter as well. So do that and I'll catch you all again in a week's time. Thanks for joining me. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.